Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. If you're new among us, we have been looking this term at different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, these, uh, I guess, organic consequences of being people filled with the Spirit. And we have two more to go. Uh, We have looked at love, joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We have carols next week. Uh, After that, we will wrap up in a very Christmassy look at self-control. And I'm, I mean, this is going to be box office, watching Johnny try and make that Christmassy, like be self-controlled because Herod wasn't or whatever it will be. So that'll be fun. But, but today we're looking at a penultimate uh, one, which is gentleness. Today we're thinking all about gentleness. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, gentleness. And to consider what that means and what that might look like for you, I'm actually not going to give us really any practical tips about us today. I simply want us to look at Jesus. You know there's this principle in the Bible that is uh, mostly about the day when Jesus returns, but it says in the scriptures that when we see him, we'll be like him. And that's mostly about when he comes and we'll be transformed instantly to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be our best selves, none of our insecurity and weirdness. Uh, We might still be weird, but but we're going to be like him going to be a great thing. But that principle still holds for every day until that day, that when we see him, we'll be like him. To the degree that we behold him and that he is our vision, we become like him. And it's like when Moses went up the mountain and he saw the radiant, shining glory of God. And when he came down the mountain, he had caught some of it. And he now was radiant in a sense and shining in a sense with a glory of a sense. And so as we now look at Jesus, we hope that we will and we believe that we will catch something of his glory. And we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So we're not going to say loads of practical things. We're simply going to look at him. And as we behold him, we're going to become like him. And we're going to read one verse about the Son of God from Isaiah chapter 42. And it's a section where God the Father is gushing about his son. He is like an annoying new dad on Facebook. I say that reverently. Um, He's saying, look at my son. Look at him. He's my chosen one in whom I delight. Behold him. Look at him. Here he is. Here's what he's like, like Mufasa holding up Simba, saying, look at him. Here's my boy. I want you to see why I love him so much. And this verse is so important that in Matthew's gospel, in the New Testament, when Matthew is trying to do the same thing and show Jesus off as being brilliant, he requotes this verse. So it's an important verse about why Jesus is fantastic. And here's what it says. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick, like a flickering candle, he will not snuff out. Now, don't be put off if uh, 
when we read that, you didn't immediately get shivers and think, wow, Jesus is amazing. Because I know that it's like an unusual picture and it's just the first time you've thought about it today. So just trust me, though, that the beautiful gentleness of Jesus is here for us to enjoy. And I mean really enjoy if we can just see what this means. So can I ask you to trust me and to come with me for 15 minutes or so and try and see what God the Father is so beaming about in this verse. First thing just to quickly notice before we really dive in is this verse highlights two things that Jesus will not do. Do you notice that? Two objects that are mentioned, and we'll get to those, but then two commitments that Jesus makes to not do certain things. That's really interesting to me because we've been talking a lot in this series quite aggressively at times, about active discipleship. Cross the road like the Good Samaritan. Be the person who takes the initiative. Draw strangers to be family. Love your neighbour. Go for it. And that is deliberate and that's from the Bible. But what's fascinating is that here God the Father is beaming in pride about his son, not only because of things he does, but because of two things that he doesn't do. And your character and my character and our church's collective witness is not only about what we very deliberately and intentionally do, but also about what we very deliberately and intentionally do not do. We follow Jesus by not only being courageous enough to do certain things, but by being careful enough not to do certain other things. And what is it that Jesus is careful and committed to not doing? And what are these objects that he talks about? First thing is a bruised reed. He speaks about a bruised reed. Now, I'm no expert, but a a reed back then was pretty much what a reed is today. (laughs) In that it's a tall, thin plant thing that grows mostly by water or marshland. And because they grow on the edge of the land, they are very often on the front line of a new surging storm or a surging wind that would roll into town. Which is why Jesus, when he speaks about reeds in the Bible, which he does a bit, often says reeds are blown about by the wind. Do you recognize that phrase from Jesus? And reeds were well used to taking a pelting by the elements. And though they were fragile... They'd also do this really epic thing where they would pop back up once the wind had subsided. So you can picture it, the wind would blow and they'd lean over, but then boink, they'd have bounce back ability. And so you could say that reeds are fragile, pretty vulnerable, yet impressively resilient and hardy. And more than that, sometimes they were even put to really good use. They would get dried out and used to help make walking sticks or canes for people to lean on. They would literally be used to provide strength to someone else. Amazing. And even they sometimes get used as poles in a little weird Bible detail. But the the sponge that gets put up to Jesus' mouth when he's thirsting on the cross is on a reed. 
And so reeds, though vulnerable and fragile and pelted by the storms, are resilient, can pop back up and can even be made into something productive and useful. But a bruised reed, a bruised reed is something very different. This is a reed that has been damaged or wounded in some way. Maybe there, I don't know what it was, maybe there's just one too many storms that rolled into town and it became too much. Or maybe, like you might on a walk in wild land, maybe someone stomped across the reed. Like they were determined to get where they were going and they didn't take any care. And so they stomped carelessly across the reed. And if it's a severe enough blow, severe enough a bruising, then no matter how much natural resilience, natural bounce back ability there is in the reed, this reed is now down. And it's a very, very long way back because they're bruised. And don't even, please, don't even talk to me about putting a bruised reed to any good productive use. You want to make a cane that others can lean on to find strength. You don't use a bruised reed. You want to make a pole that can be useful. You do not make, you do not make it with a bruised reed. You can't make anything good out of a bruised reed. It's a useless reed. In fact, if you were trying to make something of strength and resilience and usefulness, and you realized to your horror that in your hands you had a bruised reed, you'd be in no doubt whatsoever about what to do. You would throw it to the side. You would snap it and discard it and move on. Now, I know you know this. There's a little key to understanding this verse which is that this isn't talking about reeds at all. You know that? This is talking about people who feel like this. And maybe that is you today. Maybe you are bruised by repeated storms that have rolled into your life. It's just been too much for too long. And maybe it's not even that one of the storms was an absolute whopper. You've just been worn down. And the resilience you once knew has been sapped away from you and you are down and it feels like a very long way back. Or maybe, slightly different angle on it, maybe you've done something like a real whopper of a mistake. And you regret it so much but it feels too late. And now you feel like you're bruised, you're broken, you're, you're discarded, you're damaged goods. And God would never use you to provide strength for someone else to lean on. And I tread ever so carefully here, very, very carefully indeed. But you might be bruised and broken and weakened by things that other people have done to you. Where words or actions or events at home or in early years or in recent times that are outside of your control, and please hear this, are not your fault, have meant that against your will you now carry bruises and you have been broken. 
Whichever of those categories you most resonate with, God the Father stands over our church this morning to tell us something about his son. And he says this, a bruised reed he will not break. When Jesus sees you, when Jesus comes near, when Jesus picks you up and looks you over, when Jesus holds you, he promises that he will not break you. However long your healing takes, however deep the bruise, he will not throw you away. He will not walk away or move on to someone stronger. He will be, in the words of Paul in Galatians, gentle with you. And on another day, I might now raise my voice and get excited and, and prophetically declare to the broken reeds in this room that I see a day where you will bounce back, where you will rise again, and that you will be used by God to provide again strength to others and be productive in God's kingdom. But I'm not going to do that. Because I know that if you feel bruised, and if you feel broken, any talk of bouncing back just feels overwhelming, almost guilt-inducing. It feels distant and impossible to believe. So I'm not going to talk about that. All I'm going to say is this. While you're down and while you're out and while you're bruised, Jesus Christ will not break you. The other image is of a smouldering wick or a lightly flickering candle. And I was going to, today, bring a small candle to be like a real memorable, spine-tingling illustration. And I asked Kate Watkins if that was within our risk assessment. <laughs> and I was told I must have a PowerPoint slide of a candle. But imagine it here, flickering beautifully. Now, we're going to talk about this candle in a second, but you know there's a, a lot of other fire language in the Bible. God led the people, didn't he, by a pillar of fire. We know he walked with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace that was turned up to 11. We know he spoke to Moses from a burning bush. We know Elijah saw fire fall down, imagine it, fall down from heaven and consume the altar as he fought the prophets of Baal to the glory of God. And more than that, we know the Son of God was there in the beginning when the cosmos was created. And I'm no physicist, but there's an awful lot of blazing, burning fire in our cosmos, right? And more than that, even more intimidating than that, we know that God himself is described as a consuming fire. We know that the risen Jesus in Revelation is depicted as having eyes that blaze like burning fire. And from all of that, Isaiah takes us down to a one flickering candle. One solitary wick that's burned down and burned out, and not shining bright, no heat, no light. 
And perhaps you can relate to this flickering candle. Sure, you remember a time, you remember a time when your fire burned bright. You can recall moments in worship or on some mission trip in your teen years or at the peak of your glory years in your better church that you were in once. And you were on fire for God. And you long genuinely for the fire in your belly to return. And you long to be on fire. You sing with all sincerity, set a fire down in my soul. And you long for that, but you know there's just not a lot there at the minute. And how does the risen Jesus with eyes like fire and the God who is a consuming fire respond to flickering candles? It says that he will not snuff you out. The consuming fire's response to flickering candles is to protect that little light. His care for you is not dependent on how much light and how much heat you give off right now. The hands that in Revelation hold stars, burning entities of raging fire in his hand, those same hands are put around your little flame to protect you so that your light doesn't go out. And once again, if the time was right, I'd raise my fo- I've done that a bit already, but I'd raise my voice and I'd say that I think that the future for you is not to remain as a, 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 an almost out candle. And I declare to you that God wants to breathe his spirit on you to reignite the embers like a fire pit in lockdown. It's nearly out, but you blow on it and it's back. And I see, I see that for you. And I'd even dare to say that this is not all on God. There's something that you need to do at some point, which is to fan into flame the gift of God. And that's there as well. But I don't want to talk about any of that. I just want you to know today that whilst you're just a little flickering candle, he is not going to extinguish you or put you out. This is how the Son of God deals with us. He's so gentle with us. As he says of his own heart in Matthew 11, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, gentleness. As we still very much find ourselves in a pandemic with all the wonderful weirdness that comes, as we're very tired at the end of term, as the adrenaline and novelty of being back in this room has long since ebbed away halfway through September, can I ask you, are we being gentle with one another? Now, maybe you're here and you're a great theologian and you're thinking yes Richard but this is a pretty half-hearted picture of Jesus because that is not the only way Jesus is portrayed in the Bible what about when he's incredibly fierce to people what about when he's deliberately revealed to be eye-wateringly intimidating 
What about when he says, you think I've come to bring you peace? I've come to bring the sword and turn you against one another. It's in Matthew's Gospel, a real head scratcher. What about when he says he's coming to enact unwavering global justice and see every single wrong act ever done dealt with by a holy God? What about him being the son of man before whom we fall down as though dead? What about him being the lion of the tribe of Judah? To which I want to say, yes. We want to have a full biblical picture of Jesus. We do not come to the Bible dictating to the Bible the bits of Jesus we're willing to see. The Bible comes to us and dictates to us who Jesus is that we must see whatever our blind spots. And we want to not scroll past the severe Jesus, the warning Jesus, the challenging Jesus, the terrifying Jesus, the Jesus who is a consuming fire, the Jesus who is not to be messed with. But as we finish, I want to help us by making something clear. The gentleness and the holiness of Jesus are not things that are finely balanced on a seesaw, as if we have to balance them carefully. Like, we can't really say he's so gentle, because what about his holiness? That needs a look in. And we can't dare to go on about how holy he is, because we need to see these quite nice at times as well. And which is it? And like across a, a year, we have to say, you know, roughly both the, the right amount. It's not 50% of both. Rather, he is one and the same Jesus who is at the same time entirely holy, radiantly pure, incomprehensibly powerful. And he is the Jesus who promises to be gentle with bruised reeds and flickering candles. It's not 50% of both. The Bible says he is Full of grace and truth. Full. He's the lion and the lamb in one person. He's coming on the clouds with fire. But for the weakest candle who looks to him and says, my flame is nearly out, but I trust you through tears. He promises, he promises to never snuff us out. I'm going to do something that I'm sort of so proud of because I feel like I've made it as a Christian in the next five minutes. But also so embarrassed about it because it feels so grossly caricatured. But I'm going to end by telling you all about someone from the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay? If you don't know about Narnia, it's a, a beautiful place that's under a curse. It's always winter there, but it's never Christmas. And it's under the curse of a cruel pretender to the throne who calls herself a queen, but she's a witch. And she's merciless and cunning and horrible. And four little kids stumble in their playtime into the cursed land of Narnia. And they're very weak. And one of them's a, a traitor. And they're all very fragile. 
And they learn about the land and they learn about the curse and they learn about the witch who pretends to be a queen. And then they amazingly hear from, I think it's like a beaver, that there's a king, there's a true king, there's a real king from a distant land who will come. Sometimes we hear of him, sometimes we hear rumours, but when he comes, he'll reclaim the land. He'll read Narnia of the curse. And Lucy, little Lucy, she's, she's so emboldened by this news. She's so happy at this news. And then she hears something terrifying from the beaver. She hears that Aslan is a lion. And she didn't know that. And she, she starts to tremble. And she starts to panic. And she thinks, the king that I thought we were hoping would come, he's a lion. I'm a little girl. And she asks, as many of you will know, she asks this question, is he safe? And the answer comes, safe? Safe, Aslan? How dare you? He's Aslan. He's not safe, but he's good. And suddenly, one and the same Aslan who is at the same time terrifying and could rip her to shreds at a moment when she knows that he is good. Then a little girl dares to long for his nearness, not fear it. And there's this moment later in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy and Aslan find one another and she's scared and she even dares to nestle in his mane and find courage again. Now I know before anyone has a go at me that this isn't an exact representation of Jesus. Andy back, don't even start. Okay. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is terrifying and we must bow down before, has promised. A bruised reed I will not break. And a flickering candle I will not snuff out. He is the lion and the lamb. And we receive all of him. But his radiant holiness doesn't mean that we can't revel in his gentleness. It elevates his gentleness because he is the one who is being gentle with us. 